Alrighty, everybody, it's a hot one tonight in Texas, and I know it's probably a hot one in Arkansas, too, but it is time for Linux in the Ham Shack. We haven't deserted, y'all. We are here. It's just been kind of challenging getting things to gel. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I am one and only one of the hosts of this extravaganza. Let me uh, introduce you to my partner in crime at uh, Veritable Man About Town, Russ, K5TUX, and I probably screwed it up again. But say something anyway, Russ. You're just living on that like I've somehow made you guilty for messing up my call sign one time. No, I screw up a lot, so I have to verify and cross-check. No, you did it just fine this time. This is Russ, K5TUX, the other co-host of this scintillating program we call Linux in the Ham Shack. Welcome to episode number 62. Um, this one's obviously a little bit long in the tooth, and sorry we took so long to get it out. And like I said in one of the previous episodes, I hope that we'll be able to put out an episode one of these days without apologizing first for how long it's been since the last one. But anyway, number 62, here we go on August, uh, what, August 9th? Yes, yeah, August 9th, so. 2011. So welcome, everybody, to the program. We'd like to see you all here. Thanks for being in the chat room. If you're in the chat room, if you're not, you should be next time. And um, I guess we'll go on to the first thing, or maybe Richard will have something else to say. But anyway, back to you. <laughs> Well, see, that's the deal, Russ. I don't know why you want to tell them that we're going to try and do a show where we don't apologize for the show being late because it's in the show notes. It's always in the etherpad. Make apology for being late every time without fail. See, there it is right up at the top. All right. So a lot has happened. It's been a while. I'm sitting here looking at the folder that i try to keep the uh, feedback and stuff in and this stuff all the way back from march in there <laughs> that's pretty scary i think we've probably done those but so what do we got first tonight russ okay well i just fired up my email client so i don't have all the things we're going to address as far as that's concerned up just yet but we'll get to that towards the end of the show Anyway, there's a couple of things I want to bring up, and the first is um, sort of two things that go together. And the first of those is all of the events this year that we had planned to go to that we are not going to go to. Two of the major <laughs> ones are the Ohio Linux Fest and the Hamvention in uh, Alabama. The thing in the place. Yeah, the thing. The, both of those things in those places. We were going to go to Hamvention in Alabama, which is August 21st and 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. And the other thing was going to be the Ohio Linux Fest, and that, of course, is in September in Columbus. We had originally planned to be at those events, and we are not going to go. Now, the reason we're not going to go is quite simple. We can't afford to go. So... What we have done is I have put up some information on the website at lhspodcast.info regarding what I am calling the Ambassador Program. And I am modeling this on the Fedora Ambassador Program, where they get people from the community to go out and promote Fedora. Well, what we want is for people who listen to Linux in the Hamshack to promote Linux in the Hamshack. So that we, that would be Cheryl and Richard and I, 
don't have to go to all of these events necessarily because they can be expensive. Now, we, we've asked for donations in the past to go to things like the Dayton Hamvention, and I think I was calling the thing in Alabama Hamvention too, but that's actually called the Hamfest. The thing in the place. Yeah, the thing in the place. Huntsville, Alabama Hamfest. But that's the thing I meant that we're not going to. But anyway. Hamabamarama. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Bam. <laughs> 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 uh, had a bone in it. <laughs> Bama Hammerama. Exactly. So the ambassador program is basically where we get listeners of the program to go to some of these events, particularly ones that they might be close to, i.e. if you live in Columbus, you might want to go to the Ohio Linux Fest. And the idea is what we will do is send you our booth, you know, the one that we set up. In other words, you'll get the backdrop and the frame and some business cards and some discs to hand out and stuff like that. And you provide at least one computer so that you can demonstrate Linux in the Ham Shack and ham radio-related Linux software at the booth. And for that, you will get a T-shirt from Linux in the Ham Shack and our undying gratitude. There is plenty of detail about this program on the website. So if you go to lhspodcast.info and click on the ambassador link up at the top, you'll get all the information you need. So we would really like to hear from folks who would be interested in becoming ambassadors and representing Linux in the Hamjack in various places throughout the country and possibly across the world. So if you're interested in that, please let us know. Uh, we have an email address, ambassador. Yeah, it's ambassador at lhspodcast.info. Just send us email there and indicate your interest and we'll get you all set up with that. And we will still try and attend events throughout you know, the United States and possibly other places in 2012 when we can possibly do that. For those events that we can't make it, we would like ambassadors to go there in our stead. So that's that. And uh, do you have anything to say about that, Richard? Because I think this may be the first you've heard of it. Well, no, I watched and I seed and I thought and I, I, and we already got our first taker on the thing and you can talk about that in a minute. I just want to say, y'all come on down and see us at the Bama Hammerama. Come on down in Huntsville, Alabama. Hammer, Bama, Rama, Bama, Thama, thingy in the place, Rama. And if we're not there, y'all just get started without us and we will, uh, maybe. So tell us about, De so tell us about Deborah. Deborah? Deborah, the ambassador. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, as I said, I was just firing up my email client. So hang on. Let me didn't, get in didn't there. Didn't think I knew that much about it now, did you? Cause <laughs> I'm sneaky. Yes, you are. Let me find all my information now that you brought it up. I'm a snake. I'm a <laughs> snake. I'm a snake. Okay, why don't you talk about it? Because I don't have it in front of me. I'm a snake. I don't know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> thinking I find it. Oh, I nope. can see this is going well. Nope, that's not it. No, let's try this. Yep, just like the old days, kids. Yeehaw, cowboy podcasting. All right. Uh, Deborah says, saw your post on the new Adwapa theme. Nah, that ain't it. Yeah, oh. yeah, that's, that's why I was wondering what you're talking about. There was, we did have an offer from a gentleman, not Deborah. Okay. 
Not in, right. In uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I don't have his name handy, unfortunately, who said he would be willing to be an ambassador for us. So we do have one taker already for any events that might show up in the Colorado Springs, Boulder, Denver, you know, sort of uh, Rocky Mountain, Colorado area. So we've got that area covered, but we could always use more to cover all those events that happen throughout the country and throughout the world. So uh, please contact us at ambassador at lhspodcast.info if you are interested. We need everybody's support on this. And I think that's all I have to say about that. So what do you got? You well, let me look at Neith Bad and see what I might have. Advent, events we're not going to. Y'all make sure that you don't see us there. And then there was the ambassador program. <laughs> that went off without a hitch. So let's try Don't what the, what the hell is this? Donations and the sponsor wall. What the okay. hell is that? Okay, what that is, is I've changed, as a matter of fact, today, the way the donations work. Originally, when you made a donation on the website, you would click on a thing, and it would take you right to PayPal, and you would make your donation, and we'd all say, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, and cheer, and be happy, and all that good stuff. Well, the way it works now is if you click on the donation link, it'll bring you to a page, and you go ahead and submit your donation basically like you did before, but you have the option of submitting your personal information when you make a donation to Linux in the Ham Shack, and if you decide to let us publish your information, you will be put up on the sponsor wall, which is a link on the website, and you can toot your own horn basically about the fact that you have donated to the program. So we don't have to do it for you, or feel bad about doing it if you don't if you're not interested or feel bad about not doing it if you are interested so it's it's sort of all up to you now so you can just go ahead and click on the donate link on the left hand column of the Linux in the Hamshack website any little bit helps you know $1 $2 $5 if anything about this show has been entertaining or has helped you out we could always use the money to uh further the program and provide you better content See you at events around the country and perhaps around the world. That's what that's all about. Anything to say about that? Well, actually, I'm, I'm, everybody within the sound of my voice, y'all know for years now I've been saying, you know, donate a dollar. If any episode has been helpful to you, it has to be worth a dollar. You can't buy a soda for a dollar. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, you damn near can't buy a soda for two bucks now. So if any episode of this podcast has been helpful to you, and, and Russ used to get embarrassed when I'd start doing this, but now he's, he's on the bandwagon. He knows we need to, uh, we have to, it takes cash to make this show go. We really don't have much of it. So if it's, if, if any episode, any part of an episode, any sign, significant, if any insignificant bit of this particular show has been helpful to you, help us out. And we will take a dollar. I had a guy test me over at the other show. He he was trying to be a smart aleck, but he sent me a dollar. And you know what? I took that dollar and I put it in hosting fees and I grinned the whole time I was doing it. So y'all send them on in because sooner or later, them dollars ain't going to be worth nothing anyway. So what do we got next? Well, let me just finish off by saying that the show is not going to go away if you don't donate. All of the expenses come out of our pockets if you don't donate, and that's not necessarily a problem. You know what I mean? We do the show. We understand that there are expenses involved. It's just that if you're willing to donate and give us a dollar or two or five or however much you're willing to spend, 
then, $562.73. Yeah, if you're willing to give us that much, or, you know, even $5 or enough to buy a cup of, cup of coffee at Starbucks, every little mm. bit is a little bit that we don't have to spend, and we will recognize you as one of our benefactors. So anybody who wants to donate, thank you very much in advance, and I guess that's enough talk about donations. So on to the next thing. Linux Format Magazine. Why do I feel like I'm going to be angry at these people? Well, I don't necessarily want to get angry at these people because I do like Linux Format Magazine, and I have always been a big fan of the Tux Radar podcast. And I know I've mentioned that on previous episodes of our show. The last issue of Linux Format Magazine, and it's probably the one before the last one because I bet a new one has come out since, they did a review of various Linux-related podcasts and, and did their thing about, you know, which ones were good, which ones were okay, et cetera, et cetera. Their feelings about Linux podcasts. Sure enough, Linux in the Hamshack didn't make the list at all. We weren't good, we weren't bad, we just weren't there at all. I was a little annoyed by that, especially since we have, or I have, specifically touted Linux format and Tux Radar in the past. And to be overlooked by them was a bit annoying. Now, I know they're in the UK and we're in the US and blah, blah, blah. And there's probably a million reasons why they didn't bring us up. But I just thought it should be mentioned. So that's all I have to say about that. That's because they messed up. they in the UK. They all messed up. Anything in the casing over there, they call a pudding when it's a damn sausage. It's a damn sausage, people. I'm telling y'all. Shame. For shame on you people. For shame. Shame. I hope a hedgehog runs right up your badger. Yeah, buddy. Something. They have hedgehogs over there, you know. Yeah. They have all kinds of things over there. Um, you can send them a badger. I, I think they need a badger. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, we'll have to work on some devious <laughs> people. Hey, you're making my again. life harder. Yes, you are. <laughs> Say it again. All right. Anyway, I'm done talking for a while. You've got something to get off your chest, so go for it. Well, not so much get off my chest, but we need to get this out of the way so we can go and get to uh, the first break. All right, guys. Here's the deal. The official announcement. Please stand by. Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, ends production. Greeting to greetings to all amateur uh, to all to the amateur radio community and all my faithful listeners. It is with great sadness that we announce that Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, will officially end production as of August ninth, two thousand eleven, due to personal reasons, monetary reasons, and time constraints. It is no longer possible for me to continue the show. This is as much a disappointment to me as I am sure it will be to all our listeners. Since we started the show in 2007, we have met with some, we have met some really great people, ham and podcaster alike. I am very pleased that the show was able to inspire a few really good radio operators to start their own podcast and add to the pool of audio information available to the amateur radio community. Because our number one goal has always been to pass on the knowledge or Elmer all our fellow hams. I feel confident that the Elmering will continue with great shows out there like the Practical Amateur Radio Podcast, ICQ Podcast, and many others. 
I would like to thank all the listeners without whose input, feedback, and questions this show wouldn't have been around this long. I would also like to thank those listeners that have contributed audio and articles to the podcast and website. We will be uploading all the audio to the Internet Archive and be looking for a place that will post any of the articles that we have. Lastly, I would like to thank the listeners that have contributed to helping pay our hosting fees and helped us upgrade our equipment so we were able to do a show we could be proud of. Never forget that the listeners have always been the most important part of Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. Lastly, but certainly not least, I would really like to thank Russ, K5TUX, who has helped me immeasurably in improving the sound of resonant frequency and has been invaluable in helping me make this show something I could be proud of. Bill, KA9WKA, the keeper of the show notes, who has helped me in more ways than I have room here to list. Jerry, KD0BIK, who as a new ham inspired me and as a podcaster has earned a huge amount of respect from me and has always offered encouragement when I really needed it. Most of all, I would like to thank our most faithful fan, Tim, KI6BGE. Tim has been with, with us since the very, very early on and has brought up show ideas, sent in audio, and if nothing else, has been our biggest supporter. Thanks, Tim. Resident Frequency has existed in the in some form since 1992 and will continue in some form in the future. But until then, all the episodes have been uploaded to the Internet Archive, and you can find them at http colon stroke stroke www.archive.org stroke details stroke Resident Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, and uh, that link will get you there. I know it's kind of difficult. It will be in the show notes. And there will be other shows uh, giving it out also and probably putting it in their show notes. I will be looking for a place to post articles. The videos will remain on YouTube. Thank you, my friends. It's been a great ride. Remember to spread the good news of amateur radio. You are an Elmer if you have a license. See it. Do it. Teach it. Who knows, we may be back. 73, Richard, KB5JBV, host of Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. Okay, folks, so there it is. That's the official notice. Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, is now no longer in production. I'm sure that Bill will get this into the show notes so that that uh, link is available. Uh, We're working on some ideas to... Uh, get some of the stuff, some of the content that's on the site, uh, moved to other places. Uh, if y'all have any questions, and please don't bombard me, but if you have any questions, please contact me at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. So, Russ, you got anything to add? No. Other than I'm sorry to see Resonant Frequency go, I was looking forward to new episodes to come out, but I know things are tough lately, and I'm going to miss the show personally. Well, well, you know, here, here, here's the last little bit, which I probably should have tried to stick in there somewhere, but I was trying to keep it to one page. 
is that uh, Resonant Frequency started in 1992 as a ham radio newsletter. Type it up on a word processor, print it out on the printer, go make some copies newsletter. And from that, it went to being a BBS. Then it went to a website. And it's never been, never had as much success as it's had as Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. But the um, concept has always been basically the same. And I know that uh, Jerry and Rich, I've talked to Rich since uh, I talked to Rich or uh, emailed back and forth with Rich over at Low SWR right before the show started. Uh, he told me that he's sorry to hear about it and uh, how, uh, you know, I'm, I know that he and Jerry and uh, uh, some of the others, uh, KB4HQA, who has an amateur radio podcast, contacted me also. I know these guys are going to do a great job. Uh, it just so happens that little Paul over at uh, Teen Radio Journey decided to end production on his show today also. Be time for making room for some new guys. Be time for the guys that have been around to step it up and pull up the slack. So unless you've got anything else for us, it probably wouldn't hurt for us to play some music. All right. I know we've been a little short on music over the last couple episodes, but I think I'm going to dig some up for this one. So sit back, relax, enjoy whatever tunes come out of your speaker next, and we'll catch you all on the other side. Fuck that all out. Oh, well, I 
left y'all on such a somber note somber note but that's okay because you know redneck frequency like a bad habit it, it you can't kill it it's the cujo of podcasts you can't kill it it will not die anyway so um we've been holding on to this uh topic for well i've been working on it for like three four weeks but uh, we've been holding on to it for a week because things didn't work out for us the last time. And, um, you know, we've been talking about packet. We've been talking about packet and I've been avoiding the subject because I, I couldn't wrap my head around it where Linux was concerned. So I decided to sit down. I've been, you know, everybody knows for the last year and a half since my mother passed away, I've lost my enthusiasm for a lot of stuff. Uh, radio is one of those things. And the best way I know to get my enthusiasm happening is find a project to get into. So the packet radio thing was it. So I decided to bear down on this. I went to the page that I, I suggested to y'all uh, a few months back to uh, try and get your station up because it looked to be pretty current. It looked like uh, it was going to work out and and everything else. And you know what? I went over, started working with that bad boy, and sure enough, as we speak, I have a Winlink 2000 RMS gateway up and running at my house on Ubuntu Linux 10.04. That's where everybody in the chat room claps their hands. No, wait a minute. I haven't had my shots. I don't want anybody giving me the clap. So let's jump on into this thing, try and get moving on down, down the road. If you'll go over to the, uh, go over to Winlink 2000. Uh, website, you'll find a link that will take you over to this page. We've had it in the show notes before. It will be in the show notes again. And the page itself is actually over at Charles's uh, website, best I can tell, or hosted on one of his machines. And when I say Charles, y'all uh, remember I'm talking about K4GBB. K4GBB, Charles. Um, he's one of the guys that's... Uh, helping work with the RMS gateway software for Linux. And we're not going to be talking specifically to RMS uh, software tonight, but we're going to get to do the important packet part of it first. Now, for those of you who don't know, Winlink 2000 is a system for uh, transferring emails via uh, HF, VHF, UHF radio. 
One of its common uses is ship-to-shore communications with uh, some of the some of the sailing crowd and that kind of stuff. It's a it's a it's a public system. It's not a government-owned thing. It's it's run by the same guys that run the amateur radio end. You know, on the amateur radio side, for the most part, we use it for emergency communication purposes. It allows us to send an email from the field via laptop and a radio to the EOC in wherever we need to send it. Uh, who's hooked up to a hard line doesn't even have a radio. Uh, in a lot of cases, though, they have a uh, Winlink uh, system set up in the EOCs. I know two or three cities that are that way. Up until uh, not too terribly long ago, the only way you'd get your hands on it or the only way you could run it was on a Windows system because the two guys that program it are using Visual Basic and don't want to program nothing but Windows. But some guys decided to go ahead, and this is the beauty of open source software. These guys took it, started on it, gathered up some guys, built it all up, and now it works. Now, it's not as full-featured as the Windows version. However, it works, and I have been testing it. If you go over to the page indicated... Uh, in the show notes, and I'll try and, I, y'all have to go check the show notes, cause, uh, it starts off with a, starts off with a damn network, uh, address. And, uh, and check it out, or find the link for, uh, Linux RMS Gateway on the Winlink 2000 site. Uh, you'll see up, up at the top, it's pretty straightforward, it gives a little table of contents and stuff. And then as we drop down to the first section, it's talking about install the operating system. Well, most of you guys have probably already done that. In this case, I believe he was working with Debian, but uh, he starts off talking about the Ubuntu's from 7.10 to 10.10 and the corresponding kernel versions that go along with those. Let's move down a little further, and there's a little short blip about the new 2.6 kernel. And apparently there's a newer one now because Russ was telling me tonight he was trying to blow up some Hindu version 3 kernel kind of thing. I don't know. I just hope he's able to smoke it. Anyway, that's what he gets for using Hindu distributions. Hey. How, how did Hinduism come into this? D-A-H-D-A. That's Indian. It's a Hindu thing. D-A-H-D-A. That's how they spell in India. It, it's D-A-H-D-I for one thing. And okay. Yeah, even more Indian. <laughs> has nothing to do with, you know, yeah, whatever. I, I might talk briefly about the little uh, Linux kernel version 3 in a minute, but you've got other stuff to talk about. So, Well, don't hurt your voice because your part's coming up. Anyway, so when we get down to part three, it starts talking about putting the thing together. Now, we've discussed more than once that Richard is hopeless, hopeless at compiling and installing software without the package manager. But I did it, and it works, sort of. So in the third section of this, uh, what it talks about is the first thing you really need to do. And one of the reasons I'm going down this list, y'all, if you haven't tuned out on me already, is for the guys that have really not done much except going to the package manager, installing a program, clicking on an icon, running the program. This is stuff that you may need at some point in the future. So what he says is you need to, uh, get the, uh, build the GC, build that, that, build support. You need to get the stuff to compile the dang, dang software. 
So what you'll end up doing is you'll have to uh, use an app to download some of this stuff. And uh, he says you'll have downloaded his route. I don't remember if I did or not. However, the things he's talking about here are things like Build Essential, LiveAX25-Dev, LiveX11-Dev, ZLive1G-Dev, LiveInCurses5-Dev. He's also talking about AppGet Update and AppGet Dist Upgrade. That part scared me. And are you looking at this right now, Russ? No, as a matter of fact, I'm not. Should I be? Well, because I need you to, like, explain some of this crap. Okay, which thing am I supposed to be looking at? The RMS how-to. The RMS how-to, okay. Yeah, the one with the network, with the IP address on the front of it. Right, I'm looking at it now. Down under three. Under three, okay. Yeah, see, when I went to do the app get update, and then app get dist upgrade. It scared the hell out of me. I was going to end up with 10, what is it, 1104 now? Which won't see my phone. I had to put 1004 back on everything so it would see my telephone. No, in Ubuntu, uh, app dash get disk dash upgrade does not actually upgrade to the next revision of Ubuntu. There is another command which does that. So you're safe there. Okay. Well, I mean, I went ahead and did that. Uh, more importantly, I was hoping maybe you could explain to these guys, because I really don't know my butt from a hole in the ground, with some of this stuff, what that next line, that uh, app get install, build essential, libax, 25-dev, blah, 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 if you could explain some of that stuff, or at least why they need it. Okay, well, I can do that very briefly. What what that does, Build Essential is a meta package under Debian and Linux Mint and various Debian-based distributions which installs things like the make utility and GCC, the the C compiler, and basically a bunch of stuff that you need in order to build things from source. And then the other stuff, anything that ends in dash dev, is a development package, which in other words has all of the include files and library files that are necessary to build whatever package you are attempting to build. In other words, the AX.25 source requires the X11 libraries, the AX.25 sources, the ZLive libraries, and the NCurses libraries in order to build correctly. And so you have to install those development packages first so those libraries and include files and all that stuff actually exist before you go ahead and try and build uh, the thing you're trying to build. And that's pretty much all that does. And see, there you go, folks. And if, if that wasn't basic enough, y'all make sure y'all send an email to ka9wk, wait a minute, uh, WTF at ka9wka.com. WTF at ka9wka.com. And Bill will answer all your questions. Every last damn one of them. Except his call sign is ka9wk, not wa9wk. But, you know. I did say ka. Did you? Because I thought I heard W-A. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Too much type A. All right, so. (laughs) Do you even know what type A reference is? I want to see how good you are. What does type A mean? Transmission fluid. (laughs) Totally wrong. Anyway, back to your build. If I'd have said bloody, told me wrong, too. Anyway, so 
We move on to the next one, and and you got that stuff in. You're ready to go. Uh, now it wants you to install the X25 support. Now here's the problem I ran into when I first tried to do it. When I first got into Linux, back then you had to go in and turn all the crap on in the kernel, and then recompile the kernel. Six days later, when it was finished recompiling, it might or might not work. And if it didn't work, you had to do it again. Nowadays, I got these lovely things called modules. I'm not exactly sure what they do. I just know how to load them bad boys. What he is, does talk about in this section, though, is that because he's working, he was working with different types of, uh, he was probably working with Debian instead of, uh, to simplify things, he put all the files that he uh, needed to put, needed to be able to work on regularly. Files that would have been stuck in directories like uh, Etsy AX25 or uh, VAR AX25. He wanted to get them all where uh, he could get to them and work on them. Plus the fact sometimes the directories this stuff gets put into is kind of crowded. This part can get kind of confusing. If you're going to give this a shot, you might want to skip over it temporarily and go ahead and hunt this stuff down. His solution was to move everything to user local Etsy AX25 or user local VAR AX25 and then create sim links, which Russ is fixing to be up again, y'all. Y'all just watch. From Etsy, Etsy AX25 to user local Etsy AX25 and the same thing with the VAR directory. Now, Russ, could you quickly... Uh, d this is where I fell down. Because I have no idea. The Simlinks is one of those things that you can't ask questions about because everybody assumes you already know it. So can you tell us what that's about? Okay, in Linux there is the concept of the symbolic link. And all that does is it means that you can put a file in another directory. You can also symbolically link a directory. So that what happens is your directory will show up in one place and it will also show up in another place without taking up twice as much space. In other words, instead of having two copies, what you have is a symbolic link. So in this case, they're talking about linking uh, slash Etsy slash AX25 to slash user slash local slash Etsy slash AX25. So if you use the ln command, with the dash s flag, which is for symbolic linking. If, for example, you were to take, let's, let's say the default is user local Etsy AX25. So if you went to the slash Etsy directory and you said ln dash s slash user slash local slash, uh, Etsy slash AX25 and then slash Etsy slash AX25, that would link user local Etsy AX25 to Etsy AX25. So if you actually change directory to slash Etsy slash AX25, you would see all of the stuff. You would actually have been changed directory into where the symbolic link points to, which is user local Etsy AX25. But the benefit of this is you can actually have all of the files under that directory in both places so that your build scripts and any other applications that need to find them in either of those places can find them without actually having to have two copies of those files. There's just a link 
from one directory to the other, and they both appear as if they're both exactly the same. So that's the point of symbolic linking, and hopefully that made some kind of sense. And that's why my stuff is all busted, because it's backwards. <laughs> I've got, like, an extra AX25 directory in my user local Etsy AX25, and it turns out it's the other one. Anyway, so let's move on, because there's a lot of material to cover here fairly quickly. Like I said, we're not going to go through this whole darn thing, but we do need to get on down here just a bit. Now, like I said, if this is going to be a problem for you, if you think it's something you don't want to tackle just yet, you can live without the links. So let's get that AX25 support in there. The basic AX25 support packages are LibAX25, which is a library, AX25 tools, and AX25 apps. Now, you're going to need these things. You're definitely going to need the library. But you're also going to need tools and apps because there's stuff in there that you will need to use when you come down to testing, setting it up, that kind of stuff. There's a program called Listen, which lets you monitor frequency once you have it running. Uh, there's another one called Call, C-A-L-L, which you can use to actually uh, make an AX25 connection. There's an MHERD program, you know, for those of us who've been using uh, TNCs forever in a day, you know, if you're in terminal mode, you just go in there and type in MH and it'll show you everything that's heard on a frequency. Well, you kind of need to have a, have a program running in Linux so it can do that for you because when you run these TNCs, they're going to be running in, ho uh, in KISS mode. Now, in the case of something like this PK-232 I've got over here, there's four different KISS modes. It's four different levels of KISS mode. And uh, you'll be running in basic KISS mode no matter what TNC, so they're all basically the same. But you will need these AX25 tools and AX25 apps, and there's another file that's got even got a couple of more things in it, which uh, we'll worry about later. One of the things he mentions here is that... Uh, the support files, the Ubuntu repositories, they tend to use the stable version, the one that is proven stable, that uh, they are absolutely positively sure is not going to act up. However, it tends to be a year to a year and a half behind. He does give information on this page on how to go over to the guy's website that is actually maintaining these files at this time who happens to be the same guy that uh, is maintaining FPAC, which is a uh, Rose, Rose node program. For those of y'all that are familiar with NetROM nodes, nodes on packet, that kind of stuff, this is basically what that is. It also allows Internet connectivity so you can hook up. Um, actually, uh, Charlie here is in Georgia or Florida, and we were kind of in the process of setting up my FPAC node when it turned out I was going to have to uh, take some time away from the radios for a while. But anyway, he gives you this information, and there's a link to go over and take a look at it. All right, so now you need to get source files. There are places where scripts are provided to do this. And remember when you're doing this, uh, you're going to have to do it as root. You know, my suggestion to be safest would be set up a machine all by itself, set up a root account, and do it that way. I could have done that, but I didn't. Uh, in the case of a machine you're using for other stuff, 
you're going to have to type sudo every time you do execute one of these commands or almost every time you do it. So keep that in mind, uh, that, and figure out whether you're going to run under a root account or you're going to do what I did, which is wear your fingers out typing sudo. So he gives some commands and they're all plain and clear and they're very, very easy to follow. He gives a, has one command listed to create, move to that directory. And then he has you download the source files to that directory using wget. Russ, can you tell us real quick what wget is for the guys that don't know? Sure. wget is a GNU utility that will download something using a URL. So example, if you had to download something from say, the WordPress site or SourceForge or something like that where you have a URL to download it, whether it's an HTTP URL or an FTP URL, you would just type at your command line wget space and then the name of the URL, and it will go ahead and download that file without having to fire up a browser or an FTP client or anything like that. And it's a much more powerful utility than that, but that's what, I believe you are using it for, so that's probably as far as we need to go with it right now. Right. That's what he has us using it for in in this particular instance. And uh, once again, he's using the, instead of downloading it from the repositories, he's downloading it directly from the maintainer, the maintainer's website. So you may have changed version numbers or whatever. You'll have to go over to uh, F6BVP's site and and... See what see what's going on with that. So the next thing you're going to do is you're going to unpack it. And you know, there's some of you guys that have done this stuff, and there's a lot of guys out there that haven't. And that's the reason I keep stopping and asking Russ to explain this stuff because I know what it does, but I really probably couldn't give a coherent explanation of what it does. So Russ, tell us real quick about tar. Oh, tar. Uh, in a nutshell, tar is basically like unzip or ARD or ZOO or any of those other compression and uncompression algorithms. It just allows you to compress or uncompress an archive of files, uh, either keeping or not keeping its established paths. So uh, you can pack a bunch of files from a directory into a tar archive using certain uh, options of the tar command, and then you can unpack them using other options. And basically, you'll take a single file that contains an archive of a bunch of files, which are all compressed, use the tar command on it, and it will extract them onto your file system uh, in the directory structure they were in originally, and you'll have basically an exact copy of all of the things that were tarred up, basically exactly the way zip and unzip work. So that's that's the short version of what tar does for you. There, there you go. It's just a compression utility that's used commonly in Linux like Zip is in uh, that other operating system. Okay, once you get those in place and everything, then there's a command here that I wasn't real sure about, and I may have done it wrong because I think I didn't run it as root. What I believe it does is it installs a script, and then it moves it to where it needs to be and then changes the permissions on it. One of the problems you're going to run into with this is that there's a lot of places where these commands are strung together with two ampersands, and that was not working for me. I was having to run them individually, but this is explained, and 
Well, let me we'll try let, and look at huh? Let, let me address the two ampersand thing real quick. Um, yeah. The two ampersand thing is what is called a bit and, and what it's used for in this context is to, for example, on the page it shows make and and make install conf. And you may be wondering, well, what's the double and for? Well, the idea is that a bit and is either true or false, but the way it's used in this particular context is if the command that precedes the double and succeeds, i.e. the make exits with a status of zero, success, then the second command will execute. If the make fails, then the second command will not run. That's the idea behind using the bit and in this particular context. Well, see, I didn't know that. And actually, uh, the next, uh, the uh, previous line before that was the one I was looking at because that really confused me. What I think happened was I had downloaded the script. It took that script, put it in the correct directory, renamed it. No. Yeah, renamed it when it moved it and then changed the uh, permissions on it. Anyway, y'all, y'all, please look at this page while you're listening to this. So let's move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, Russ went over the next one. Once you've got it all uncompressed, then you'll do the, the dot stroke configure make, make install. Uh, something we figured out when, uh, I was chatting with uh, Charlie about this and I was having a little issue because I didn't have any configuration files. The configuration files for the, the programs that I was running, I didn't have none, any of them. And what we had to do was go back and re, uh, reinstall the software. And instead of make install, we had to use make install comp so that it would make the configuration files because we did not have a pre-existing installation of these configuration files. Y'all watch that very closely. And he's gone back and highlighted some of this stuff with a yellow band so that you'll stop and take a closer look at it. But anyway, you'll do that. And like I said, he's got a bunch of scripts that can do a lot of this stuff for you, but this is a good opportunity for you to learn how to do this stuff. We're trying to chug on along now. This is Linux in the Ham Shack. I don't know why I felt like I needed ID, but hell, I did it. So then he's wanting you to run this script called script. And it, this particular script is supposed to go back behind you and clean up all the mess. Any any loose ends, time up, whatever. Uh, I really don't know. I haven't had a chance to look at it. I haven't had a chance to dig into it. I wanted to get this thing on the air, and my learning experience is going to come from going back and take, tinkering with it. However, if you follow this thing word for word up until we, where we're going to stop, you will have a run-in uh, AX25 installation if you're using Ubuntu. So after you do that, you need to set the permissions on user local SBIN. I must have missed that part. And y'all know how to do that. You go in, you use change mod, and life is good. The support for the modules are already, lo already compiled. Now you load the X25 modules. And now we're going to use a, pro uh, use a command called modprobe. 
this is my first opportunity to use that. And I, I wasn't real sure what it was for. I believe, and Russ is going to tell us here in a second, I believe it just goes ahead and loads these, uh, these modules, loads them into memory so that uh, they can be accessed to make things run right. Is that uh, anywhere close to right, Russ? Sort of. It actually loads these kernel modules into the running kernel so that they actually become part of the kernel space. It's basically like taking a chunk of kernel code and executing it live so it becomes part of the active kernel. That's That's what it does. Okay, well, close enough. It, it's a it's a chunk of thing uh Baba Dewey. Anyway, so he says you can preload this, preload all these. I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but I'm gonna get back to it. You can use the command ls mod to see what modules are loaded, and what you'll need to do is load the X25 module, the MKIS module, and the Rose module. Now Rose is not as important. But the X25 and the MKIS modules, you have to have those or you will not be able to run uh, your KISS TNC. Now, it's pretty simple. You go in, you, as root, you execute mod probe X25, boom, the module's in. Same thing with MKIS, same thing with ROSE. Once, you, once those are loaded, you have those protocols happening, and life is good. There's uh, some more stuff here. Tell you what. Let's go ahead and take a break and uh, play some music, and then we'll uh, zip through the rest of this and then finish up uh, what we got on end, because we're not that far away, but it's probably a little more than y'all want to sit and listen to right at this moment. What do you say about that, Russ? Sounds like a plan. So I guess we'll listen to another fine selection from myself, hopefully, and we'll come back in a couple of minutes and we'll close out the show. So And we'll, and we'll be right back, y'all.
powerful than you At least until you see Tomorrow when the sun rises And the sand is fall Take my pound of flesh and sleep while there's time You are the first one to ever cross that line Play me as the enemy as best as you can When I take life into Okay, and we're running down towards the wire. We do, we're going to get through the last part of this, which I'm going to tell you all some issues and a little story and all this other stuff and everything else. However, we have to, have to defer to Russ on Section 5 of this particular how-to. And uh, Russ, in Section 5 of the how-to, uh, he talks about how uh, DevFS and UDEV there's been a change, and I think he's talking primarily about Debian machines because I didn't run into this issue. However, he does have information in there to make 10.04, and it may have been when 10.04 still had a, a an older version of the kernel. But he's talking about having to go in and add to the command the command line in Grub, uh, pty.latency underscore count equals 10. Or something similar to that. Do you have any idea what that might be about? That has to do when the kernel, the kernel versions, uh, still use devfs instead of udev, which is the new version. And I honestly don't know which kernel was the one that switched from devfs to udev. The how-to here suggests that if you're still using a kernel like in the Ubuntu 9.04 release, has devfs support you're going to have to add this to the boot string in your grub configuration but if you're using something newer or later i would presume 9.10 and newer then you're using udev and you don't have to worry about it honestly i i couldn't tell you which kernel was the one that switched from one to the other so i guess you just have to figure out which one it is okay yeah so give it a try without messing with that and if it don't work, go back and put it in. Because the version of 10.04 that I'm using has the most recently update, or the most recent update of the kernel. And it worked just fine. I didn't have to worry about this. So right after that, we have to go in and set up the X25 ports. Now, this sounds a lot harder than it is. And for you guys coming over from Windows, I know you don't have to do this kind of thing. But... Uh, what you'll need to do, because the AX25 daemon 
when it fires up, is going to want to know what port you're using for AX25. So what you'll need to do is set these up because you'll end up linking these ports to your serial ports and USB ports, and we'll get to that in a minute, uh, for lack of a better term. Depending on where your stuff ended up, you go into Etsy AX25 or user local Etsy AX25 and look for a file called AX Ports. A-X-P-O-R-T-S. If you open that up in a text editor, I use Nano. That's one of those things that I tried to do in the command line we were talking about earlier. Uh, I use Nano, but you can also open it in Gedit. Not going to make any difference. But chances are you're going to have to open Gedit as, uh, as root, as a super user, so that you can uh, uh, edit the file. Unless, of course, you go in and change the permissions on it, and that's another show. But once you get in there, you'll find, uh, I think in the original configuration file I had, uh, it had two ports defined. The two ports were port 0 and port 1, which in the real world, or the way we look at things, is port 1 and 2, because refer to other show where Linux starts at 0 instead of 1. Once you get in there, you're going to have to have the port number. Well, it says port number. It's really port name because you don't have to make it a number. You can use a name. The call sign with the secondary ID, if you're going to use a secondary ID on that call sign. The baud rate that from the computer to the TNC. The packet length, window, which I still haven't quite figured out what that is. And then a short description of that port. There'll be programs that look for that so they can give people the information. In my case, I have one port running at this time. So I went ahead and commented out every other line, which there were only two other lines, which uh, putting a hash mark in front of it, tic-tac-toe, number sign, whatever. And currently, my AX ports reads uh, port 0, KB5JBV dash... No, I don't have a secondary ID because uh, I want to be able to test my... Uh, Winlink 2000 with my call sign without SSID and that ma- those mess things up. Um, the baud rate, which the highest baud rate this PK232 will run down the wire to the computer is uh, 9600. Uh, the packet length, I have mine set a little shorter to get, uh, get things to run a little faster. I set mine to 128 instead of 256, which it probably should be 255 if you're going to run it wide open. Better for beacons that way. Seven, and then the description. I think I got test port in my description. Right below that, you're going to see what I just said for the most part in the next three lines. Please omit any reference at this time to FADCA. FADCA, you're not going to have to worry about until you get down to the FPAC portion of our program. Next step is uh, we need to run some commands. Now, you're probably going to have to run these as root. Either run it in a root terminal, use sudo, use root count, whatever. And I'm going to try and get them, get through them pretty quick. The first one's going to be user local bin kiss attach stroke dev stroke ttys0 if you're using serial port 1. You're going to attach that serial port to port 1 in your AX20, AX ports. 
After that, you're going to have to have an IP address. Now, don't put the IP address of the computer on your local network in your house. That's not what it's asking for. And I'm not even sure why that's still part of it, uh, unless they just have not taken it out yet. There was a group in the early days of the Internet, and they're still around, Amper, Amperorg, Ampernet, Ampernet, which used... Uh, the 44 series IP addresses. You're going to have to have an IP address, so just use, pick one <laughs> for the most part. If you can find the Ampernet uh, website, it'll tell you which ones they use for testing purposes. If not, grab something uh, in the neighborhood of 44.128.100.0 to 44.128.0.1. But you need to get it in there or it won't work right. Once again, user local SBN kiss attach, then the device, then the export, then the IP address. All this stuff is on that how to and this, the link to it will be on the, in the show notes this time. Okay. So the next command you're going to need to run is user local SBN kiss parms. KISS parameters, K-I-S-S-P-A-R-M-S. And after that, you're going to have some, uh, you're going to have to add some stuff. You can go as minimal or as excessive as you want. Some of it's in another place. I'm going to have to get back with him because there is something missing here. But it's one of those files that will get made when you uh, uh, install the stuff. So So anyway, uh, in this case, we're going to tell it the port name, which is port zero. You have to have that. Dash R, which is persistence, the persistence value. For those of y'all who haven't run packets, stick with the defaults. It'll work for you. After that is dash T, which is the TX delay, because a lot of receivers don't open completely up when they first key. It takes a little bit, a few milliseconds for it to open up. And if you start sending the packet before the uh, radio is ready to transmit, you're going to chop the front of the packet off, and then it's not going to decode. For more information on the KISS parameters, uh, use the man page for it. And all these man pages should install when you install that software. Man KISS Parms. All right, so testing the port. Now, here's where I ran into an issue, uh, because um, Bill, t- Bill says that dash S is slot time, and it didn't make it into the how-to. I think I'm going to have to get with this guy when I get settled and uh, us work on it a little because there's stuff that I know from running back in the past that doesn't really have that much to do with the Linux side of it where we can straighten this thing out. Anyway, he say, he recommends go over and get a small program, a small application called Calibrate, which is part of the FPAC package. And unfortunately, I was not able to get Calibrate to work. Now, my normal modus operandi is I set up a loopback port, and I talk to myself. And then when I'm satisfied that I can talk to myself through the loopback port, I find a digipeter and talk to myself, which is what I ended up doing in this particular situation. Y'all can give that a shot. We're going to omit discussing it at the moment. Uh, like I said, it's in the how-to. If you want to go ahead and monitor the frequency, which is the first thing I did to make sure I was at least hearing what was going on on the frequency, one of those programs that you got when you uh, down, when you installed AX Tools and AX Apps was one called Listen. 
Now listen, all it does is listen to what's on the air and spit it out on, on, in a terminal. You, there are some switches for that. You can run it in color. You can omit some stuff. It's, check out the man page. And the reason I'm going so quickly is I'm trying to get through this so we can uh, wrap this up in a timely fashion. Once you're satisfied you're able to hear, try and connect to somebody. The next thing you're going to need is Call. Call is also one of those apps that comes in the tools and apps. So go ahead into a terminal and run Call, the port number that you're wanting to transmit on, the call sign of the station you're wanting to connect to, and if you have to use a digipeter or something, this says add add a V, which is the way we did it uh, using the using the firmware inside the controllers. Uh, I've been having pretty good luck just putting them all together, separated by space, which is what the uh, man page says. Anyway, that's what I'm using right now to test my RMS gateway. Now, a couple more things real quick, and then we'll we'll move on. I probably put Russ to sleep. I know they're still awake in the chat room because they keep talking to each other. So if everything is good, you need a script to start AX25, the AX25 service at boot up. Now, he has a script that you can get your hands on. And what does it say here? It says, my AX25 script points to Etsy, AX25, AX25 up to start, and AX25 down to stop the AX25 service. It has four options. Start, stop, restart, and status. Start by placing the script AX25 in Etsy init-d. As we go through this, remember, I still don't have this working. Once it's in there, he gives you a command, which is update-rc.d AX25 defaults 95 space 5. Now, it's my understanding this is supposed to make that script run when you restart. And I'm sure somebody will let me know either in the chat room or Russ, if he hasn't fallen out of his chair, if that is roughly the idea of what's going on here. So what's going to happen is it'll have this running, or it's supposed to have this running, and it will start the X25. means all that single command line stuff that I was talking about a while ago, uh, the KISS attached, the KISS parms, the uh, Mod Probe X25 rows and MKISS, uh, it'll do all that stuff and get it up and running. X25 start will make that happen also. When you decide to bring it down, because if you change the beacon, you have to turn it off and then turn it back on. Because if you run beacon more than once in a row, you end up with two beacons. This will make it easier for you to shut it down and turn it back on. You won't have to shut down and restart the computer. If you want to do that, you'd be running when you'd be running X25 on Windows. Place uh, X25 up, my X25 down in the user local Etsy X25 directory because that's where it points. Now. What this, what that script's supposed to do, it's supposed to start mherd, the beacon, and ax25d. It's also supposed to start a monitor on tty11 to monitor packet activity. And he tells you how to get to that. Now, if you're running 
I don't think it works, Russ. I haven't even tried that because I don't think it'll work if you're running, uh, when you start, when you recent, when you restart the machine and it starts all this stuff. The script says that, uh, it starts, it says that the script starts listen, which is a monitor program for the packet frequency on, uh, TTY 11. And then you would be able to use control alt F11 to go to it and control alt one to come back. But that would be something you would do if you weren't running a desktop. Is that correct? Uh, no, that would be something you would do if you were running a desktop. That's, uh, console number 11. Okay, well then maybe I'll put the line back in so it can do it. All right, so that gets us down to installing the the gateway, the Winlink gateway. It also gets us to the point of installing FPAC, should you decide to choose so, to install F6FBB bulletin board if you decide to do that, to use the node or some of the other stuff that uh, is available for you to set up to run under AX25. It's also good to have this stuff in place if you decide to run APRS, even though we found that uh, if you install Zaster, that it will set up and run without you having to go through all this process. And at some point, I might have to go examine that. Now, uh, Ted was chomping at the bit to hear my story while we were on the break a while ago, so I'm going to tell my story. I decided, since I was having to run all this stuff manually anyway and haven't been able to get it to start this stuff at boot, that I was going to move the AX25 up script and the AX25 down script where I could get at them, make a link on the desktop, and uh, go in there and set my beacon up the way I wanted it and all this good stuff. And I reached over and I clicked it and terminal window jumped up and then it closed. What's going on with that? Rebooted the machine. And I, like I said, I'd already been in there. I'd uh, changed the beacon to what I wanted it to, wanted it to spit out and that kind of stuff. Okay. I'd got, commented out the, uh, line for listen in there and I clicked on AX25 up, terminal come up, terminal went down. And it took me three days of trying to figure out what was going on with that. And then I got to thinking about it. I had sat there and read that script all the way through. And I am not a guy that's uh, great with shell scripts. I can barely write one to do what I need it to do. But I got to looking at it. And I discovered that in an if statement, kids, which those of you that have done a little programming, most ifs have to have a then of some sort. I'm told by Ted that uh, then is fi in uh, shell scripts. So if you have an if at the beginning, you have to have an fi at the end. And I got to looking at it, and one of the things that wasn't running, the very last statement before it went to the next thing was fivim. And I didn't notice it the first time I looked at it, but a couple of days later I was standing on the porch, which I get a lot of inspiration when I'm out there, and it dawned on me, that shouldn't be like that. So I went in, opened the script, Put a put a hash uh, hash in there in between fi and vim to comment to comment out the vim part. Close it, buttoned it back up, and uh, clicked on it. And sure enough, it jumped up and started running just like it was supposed to. So y'all don't be afraid of this stuff. Go out there and try it. Take a good long look at this how to. Take it nice and slow. 
I'm going through it. I have gone through it kind of quick, but once I am sure what I'm doing with it and uh, what's going on with it, it's my intention to go back and set up a separate one of these old machines I have sitting over here on the floor because you don't need a lot of horsepower to unpack it. Set up a machine just for that. It won't even have a desktop on it. All right, so with that, since we just about put everybody to sleep, we've gone a little bit longer than I suspected. I've, I've talked my head off. Next time, we will probably talk about uh, the RMS Gateway simply because I'm further along on that than I am the FPAC at this time. With that, let's go ahead and see what else we got. Russ, are you still awake, brother? I am. I know I ran a little o- over, and I'm sorry about that. So let's let's see what we got next. We got hand, we got handies, handies am sat thing. No, we got Andy's ham radio Linux CD. Tell us about Andy's ham radio Linux CD uh, thing. Okay, well this actually came in as some feedback from an email, I believe. Let me see if I can dig it up here real quick. You mm-hmm. little well sleeping, y'all. Yeah. Man, feed up, me was snoring. Okay, this came in from Andy, KB1OIQ, and he says, Hi, Russ. Please feel free to announce the following on a future podcast of Linux in the Ham Shack, as you see fit. I have remixed a Linux CD chock full of ham radio software based on Ubuntu 10.10. This CD runs reasonably well on older hardware with at least 256 megabytes of memory and a 1 gigahertz processor. The CD can be booted as a live CD or installed to the hard drive or a USB thumb drive. It uses the IceWM window manager with a customized menu. Software includes FLDigi and all of the FLDigi or the FL family members, FLARQ, FLMSG, etc., Xlog, CQRLog, TQSL, AA Analyzer for Rig Expert Antenna Analyzers, CW Wave, XCWCP, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read all that. It also includes the Aurora Web Browser, XFE Graphical File Manager, XFW Text Editor, XOS View, TK Mixer, SSH, and lots more useful utilities. Software for resource-constrained computers need not be primitive in appearance. And for more information, go to http colon stroke stroke sourceforge.net stroke projects stroke kb1oiq dash Andy's ham. Have a lot of fun in 7.3 Andy kb1oiq in Chelmsford, Mass. After I got this email, I went and downloaded his distribution and I tried it out and it pretty much does exactly what he says it will do. There's a lot of software installed by default. I use the live CD version, and to be honest, I could not find a way to install it. I tried to install it, and I thought it would work better if I did, because I'm not sure how well the live CD will handle, like, my sound card installation, my my specific Sound Blaster USB devices, my USB serial connector, and all that stuff. Now, I have to say, I didn't actually install it on my ham radio machine, so it wasn't terribly useful to me, and I don't particularly like Ubuntu 10.10, and I don't particularly like the ICE window manager. So overall, I was not terribly impressed with this distribution, as it were, but it does contain a ton of working ham radio software. I think overall I do like it better than some of the other offerings like Digipup and Harv's Ham Shack Hack and Shackbox. 
So it might be something for people to download and try and see if they like it, especially if they're Ubuntu users. So check out that link. It will be in the show notes. And uh, give it a shot. It's lightweight, so it'll run on almost anything. And if you like the ICE window manager, then you're definitely going to like this. Uh, I didn't particularly find it that interesting. And if I could figure out how to install it, I might like it better. But like I said, I ran it in the live version, and that's as far as I got. So that's really all I'd say about that. Well, I'm I'm sitting here looking at the uh, the screenshots of it right now. What they've got in the screenshots is some of the more common stuff. G-Predict is my favorite among the satellite programs. I don't know why I ever say that because I've never actually worked them. I just kind of watch them go across the screen. But <laughs> it appears there's an Echolink client, which is probably uh, QTEL. Yes, he does have all the FL Digi stuff in here. Some, most of that's for PSK mail. Uh, slow scan TV, WSJT whisper. This may be designed, and I hope uh, Andy will get with us on this. It may be designed to be a uh, a field ready plug it in, uh, run Linux in the uh, field day, whatever kind of thing. I'm gonna have to download this and take a look at it. It it does look interesting. Everybody knows my desktop favorite is GNOME. But uh, that hasn't stopped me from using uh, lighter stuff. I mean, I got one laptop on over here that I uh, can't run anything, but uh, whatever it is that comes in Crunchbank. I'll definitely take a look at this. Andy, um, get back in touch with us, man. Let us know a little bit more about this. I am intrigued. Intrigued, as it were. Yes, the link will be over at over to podcast in the show notes. And we're not even going to find Russ for saying Shackbox. So uh, that brings us to feedback and donations, Russ. It does, and uh, I don't think we're really going to have time for it. So we're going to have to push the feedback and donations to next time. And trust me, we will get to them, but we've run a bit long tonight. so Or we're going to have to do a whole episode that way. Yeah. All right. So, well, if that be the case, uh, there's something else. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me throw this in there since I got contacted about it right before the show, right before the show. Been talking back and forth with, uh, Rich over at Low SWR. He's working on a, a live CD, a ham radio, uh, well, he's saying a distro, not just a live CD. So, uh, I'm going to take a look at it and we're going to try and, uh, try and discuss it. First opportunity we get. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that works out. So. With that, have you got anything else this evening, Russ? No, as a matter of fact, I don't. That's it. Well, in that case, y'all, I'm sorry we went so long, but hey, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> that it has. Oh, by the way, Ted is still waiting on uh, EQSL from you. So with that, uh, in the soon-to-be uh, abandoned studio here in bald springs texas my name is kb5jbv uh you can contact me at kb5jbv at gmail.com kb5jbv at gmail.com uh or you can contact me out on the social networks i'm finally uh 
finally getting where I can turn the gibber on every once in a while. Uh, Twitter, Identica, your favorite network, Facebook. Uh, I look at that one every day, see what my family's saying about me. Uh, you can get a hold of me at any of the above. If y'all have any questions concerning, uh, the other podcast, go ahead and, uh, go ahead and send them this way, but please don't flood me. Uh, and with that, we'll turn it over to Russ and let him tell y'all all about his. Okay, this is Russ, K5TUX, and I'm on most of the social media network doodads out there on the inner tubes. At, place. Yeah. Uh, use the username JR Woodman, and I also happen to be K5TUX over at 73s.org. You can find us on the web at lhspodcast.info. You can leave us voicemail at info. Okay. You can leave us email at info at lhspodcast.info. You can leave us a voicemail at 417-200-4811. Make sure to use option three for Linux in the Hamshack. And if I could, I would like to encourage people to make a donation, if that's at all possible for you, to sign up for our mailing list so that you can get information about the show when we provide it, and to continue to check out the website at every opportunity. Oh, and if you also have some free money to spare, make sure to check out the merch link on the website and buy our T-shirts, hats, mugs, beer steins, and all of those cool things. We'd like to uh, get some more of those out there in the world. We've had a few people pick them up at shows and at Linux Fest and stuff like that, but you can also order them from Cafe Press and from Printfection. The links to all of this stuff you can find at lhspodcast.info. And I think that's about it for me, so thanks everybody for listening to episode number 62 of Linux in the Hamshack. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another one with all kinds of groovy information for you. So this is Russ, K5TUX, from Between the Peaks, in the Pine Forest of North Central Arkansas, saying good night and have a great couple of weeks. And I'm going to send it back down to Balt Springs, Texas, where Richard is going to say... Let me interject here that uh, there was a bunch of lakes that went along with that segment that we did on the AX25. I skipped right over them because we were running so long. Y'all go over to the website, check out the show notes. They will be available there. So with that, from the soon-to-be-abandoned studio here in Bald Springs, Texas, this is KB5JBV, and we'll see y'all next time.